Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for this time in your word. We ask now that you would show us ourselves from your perspective, that we would learn to see rightly how we stand before you, such that we might turn to you in trust in the Lord Jesus and that we might seek to share with others that same gospel, that same truth, that same saving message. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. What description would you give of humanity? Are people good or bad? Now, of course, as soon as I ask the question, you want to start qualifying it. If you're anything like me, well, hang on, David. What do you mean by people? Do you mean me? Do I have to answer that question about myself? Or do you mean people, my, my next door neighbour who's a bit of a jerk, or, or, or the people out there who are doing bad things, or what do you mean by good? What do you mean by bad? I mean, it feels like it shouldn't be that hard a question to answer. And I mean all of those things. I mean yourself. This is a question we're going to have to grapple with in regards to your own morality. And I also mean the people out there, humanity as a whole. Are we good? That is, are we moral? Are we by nature kind? Is humanity on an upward trajectory, ever improving? Tomorrow will be better than today, a hundred years from now, three generations from now, we will finally achieve utopia. Is it that we are good and we are constantly corrupted by the externals? Or are people bad? Are we by nature wicked, evil? Are we by nature morally empty and bankrupt? We don't need anybody to teach us how to do the wrong thing. That comes naturally. Are we by nature selfish? In fact, on a downward spiral, and the only reason that there is still any good in the world is that we are somehow restrained, whether by our own conscience or society or God. Are people good? Or bad? Are you good or bad? I feel like in the last few months we've really seen the best and the worst come out of everyone. You think back to the bushfires and we had no end of people volunteering, caring for one another, providing goods, donating money. But we also had people looting and stealing from those who had already lost everything. Think about the last little while with everything that's going on. We have seen the best. I mean, you think of those frontline health workers who are putting themselves and their families at risk day after day after day. But on the other hand, we have punch-ups over toilet paper. Are we good? Are we evil? Now, I suspect that your own sense of what you are might be different, perhaps, to what you think about others. Maybe you think of yourself as good. Right? You, you, you compare to those around and you say, well, I'm by and large a pretty good sort. I have my days, fair enough, but I'm all right. Well, the bad people, they're out there somewhere. Or maybe it's the flip side. Maybe you know what you're like. You know your past. You know what you're currently into. You know yourself to be somebody who really couldn't use the word good as a descriptor. And you hope that there's somebody good out there. Maybe it's these churchy kinds. What about humanity? Where do you view humanity? Are we on a trajectory up? Are we getting better? Are we improving? Are our children going to... Or are we always on that downward spiral? Now, of course, we have to ask the question, does it matter? Does it matter if people are good, if people are bad, if there is a morality that matters? If, if, well, is there any point in being a good person at all? 
Now, to be honest, without God in the picture, I struggle to come up with a reason as to why it matters. I mean, the, the atheist experiment, as far as I can tell, struggles to say that, yes, morality matters, being good matters. Um, sure, we could talk about survival of the species or, uh, or progress and evolution and, and us wanting to improve as humanity and keep the race alive, but... Uh, there seems no better reason to be a moral person than, well, any other. Let me see, one person wants to live a long and comfy life, and so they seek to minimise any sort of conflict. Another person wants to live hard, die young, and don't really care if they harm anyone along the way. A third person just wants to end it all. And they think it might be fun to take some others out with them on the way. What says that any one of them is better or worse than anyone else? Does it matter if people are good or bad? Now, of course, as soon as I give you those examples, we start to get a sense of why it does, of why we yearn for some sort of real and meaningful morality, for something, well, that says good and evil matter. As soon as I am the one who suffers, or or perhaps my child, is the one who suffers. We start to want justice. Our very own intuitions, our desire for justice, our belief in love, our our questions about the purpose and meaning of life direct us to seek some sort of truth. Now, what I want to show you in these brief moments, I want to show you something that matters way more than our own ideas than whatever vision of humanity or morality we could conceive of. And instead, I want to show you what God thinks. And I want to show it to you because it really does matter. It comes with a call to action. This is something we need to do something about, not just know. And I have to begin with a warning. God's assessment of us is not very nice. In fact, it's kind of the opposite of very nice. Now, that might be particularly challenging if you see yourself as a good person. It might come as a shock. You see, God doesn't think we're good. Far from it. We read it in that chapter we heard read from Ephesians, one of the letters that one of the very early Christians, a man named Paul, wrote. And he said this as he described his readers. He said, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions. And sins. Now, he doesn't mean it, you as in, you guys are and I'm not. He'll go on to say in just a couple of verses, we all were like this. This is how God views the natural human being. It's how he views you and me as we stand. Dead. Spiritually dead. I mean, we lots of people talk about being spiritual these days. You might consider yourself a really spiritual person into all sorts of spiritual things, religious things, whatever it might be. God looks at us and sees us as dead and dead in transgressions and sins. Our dead state flows out of not whether we are moral or not, not whether we help grannies cross the road, although I don't know how you do that anymore when you're supposed to be socially distancing, but um, maybe just shout encouragement, hey, you can do it, right? It's, it's not about whether we're good people or not. That's not whether it defines whether we are spiritually dead or alive. No, it's our transgression and sin. It's our response to God that dictates our deadness. Our response 
to his law, our rebellion against his right to dictate our lives. A rebellion that every one of us is engaged from day one. See, God doesn't see humans as morally neutral. We don't start as a blank slate and you can kind of go up or down and you can somehow balance the books at the end. Right? It's not that we are amazing and education is going to lead us into some sort of utopia. No. By nature. Because we are descendants of that first sinner, Adam, God sees you and me as dead. As people who desire evil because we desire something other than what he is. Now, it's a strange description because, well, that look like it. I mean, particularly if you're a middle class type of person, maybe. Whoever you are in whatever your circles are, as you look around at the people around you, you've probably gotten used to what is normal around you. We live according to what is normal. But if you have a look again at that second verse, in which you used to live, the transgressions and sins in which you used to live, when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. See, we used to live this way. This is the description of the natural human being, somebody who lives according to the ways of the world, for whom it's normal to transgress and to sin, for whom it's normal to not think of God. See, it doesn't stand out to us that God views us as spiritually dead because everyone is the same. We are all equally wicked. No one thanks God for the good things in their lives. No one asks God for provision. No one seeks God out for relationship. No one pursues God's honour and God's pleasure. I, I don't, naturally, on my own. You don't, on your own. Spiritually, dead. Dead to obedience, to faith, to submission, to righteousness, to holiness. You and I are deeply and fatally flawed. And it really, really matters. See, verse 3, as he sums up this picture of humanity, all of us also lived among them at one time, those who lived according to transgressions and sins, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, following its desires and thoughts. See, by, by, by our very innermost being, who we are, desires evil. And it matters as we come to the end of that sentence because, like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. See, whether people are good or bad matters because God is good. That's, that's the problem. The problem is who God is. Perfect, holy, righteous, just. And because of who God is, he can't leave evil unpunished. Whatever is not good is rightly destined for punishment. It's one of those Christian teachings that people sometimes get a little bit upset about, that God might punish somebody. I don't understand why people get upset. We want that to be true, don't we? That evil meets its due that wicked people find justice, that evildoers are punished. We want that. 
How many conversations? It feels like it's a little bit too frequent at the moment. When I'm talking with somebody and for some reason they start talking about how the, 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 the sentences in our criminal system are just too light and really they ought to be punishing them harder and that'll teach those criminals and that'll sort them out. We want that. We want the person who wronged us in particular or our loved ones to face justice. Wrath, that is, this righteous anger at wickedness is good. It flows out of love. You love somebody and you see them wronged, you want justice for them. And the opposite of love isn't wrath, it's apathy. You see someone you love wronged and you don't care. Ah, well, you don't really love them, do you? I see my loved ones wronged, whether it's myself or someone else. And I angrily want justice. We want that. And we want that because that is who God is. He made us to be like him. This characteristic is one of his. A deep desire for justice, which unfortunately leaves us in a pickle, leaves us in a bit of a problem. For if everything that is not good is destined for judgment and condemnation. And by nature, you and I are creatures of sin. Then we stand condemned. Oh, we try and fix it, don't we? we we've got all sorts of projects that are supposed to fix the wrongs of the world. Whether it is a quest for some sort of universal morality, right? Do better. That never works. Whether it's through education, let's raise the next generation. We'll teach them to be better. They will fix our mistakes. We've had a hundred years or more now of universal education just in our country. Free, available, great education. Has it fixed anything? Well, no, we'll make better laws. We need better politicians, more vision, more police. We'll fix it that way. That doesn't change hearts. I'll just bury my head in the sand and we'll see if that'll fix it. But you see, that all ignores that first description of us. Dead. Dead people can't do anything. Dead people can't speak, stand, act, fix a problem. Dead people can't behave morally. Dead in transgressions and sins. That cheery message, isn't it, for Easter? It's great to be reminded by someone on a screen that before God, we're worse than nothing. We are creatures of wrath destined for judgment. But that's the truth that you need to see about yourself before you start to want a solution. See, it's so normal to live that way that often it never even occurs to us that we're in trouble with God. Now, Easter. Easter is good. Easter, you see, is the time when we remember the solution to the problem. I hope you felt it. I hope you know the problem and the need to be right before God, a need that you yourself cannot achieve. And that's why I'm so glad you're participating this way in our church service, because Easter is a time when we remember the actions that God took to fix the problem. We couldn't. We can't. There's nothing we will do that can fix it but God. Some of the best two words in the whole Bible. 
Come and look at sentence number four. But God, because of who he is, because of his great love, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. But God, just fantastic words. We couldn't do it. Dead people can't help themselves. But God made us alive. When? When we were his enemies. Isn't that amazing? I, I, I have a wife. I love my wife. She says it's a very easy thing to do. She's very lovable. I have children. I love my children. It, well, it's, it's sometimes easy. They, they're usually lovable. Even when they're not being lovable, they're, they're cute at least. So in their minds, I guess I've got to love them. I have friends. I love my friends. They're very lovable. They're easy to love. God loved us when we were enemies. I mean, you think about the person you like the least, right? Your mother-in-law doesn't count. That person, when we were like that to God, in fact, when we were worse to God than that, was when God loved us. I have a mother-in-law. I love her. She's very lovable. And what did he do? Made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. He made us alive. He gave us that spiritual life we didn't have. He gave us a great and glorious future. Have a look at verse number six. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. We've just finished a series in the book of Revelation. You go and watch back through that, listen to the talks, to hear about the picture of us seated in the heavenly realms already, seated, reigning, ruling with the Lord Jesus, awaiting his return for the glory to finally be revealed. All of this gifted to us, given to us by Jesus, given to us by God. How? I mean, if justice demands punishment... If justice demands that somehow wickedness be taken into account, in fact, that wickedness be punished and the wages of sin is death, how is it that God can give us life? It's not just to ignore sin. Well, the answer you might have seen is in Christ Jesus. It's there the whole way throughout. I mean, you can point out pretty much any verse, right? Verse 5, made us alive with Christ. Verse 6, with Christ or in Christ. Verse 7, in Christ. Verse 10, in Christ Jesus. The whole way through it, it is in Jesus. Whatever happened to Jesus, we can be a part of. And what did happen to him that could win us life? Well, we read... Back in chapter 1 and verse 7, we read these words. In him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of God's grace. We have redemption. Redemption is is paying the price. It's buying back. In Jesus, he paid the price by his blood. He died. See, Jesus, who didn't deserve it, chose to die in my place, chose to die in your place. Jesus, the perfect one, whose death was sufficient, and so God brought him back to life again. 
Jesus who died to death, whom God made alive so that our sin might be paid for and we might share that life with him. I mean, the outcome is superb. Us who were once guilty are now blameless. Those who were once rebels are now God's children. Those who were once wicked from the heart, by nature creatures of wrath, now holy through and through, alive to obedience, alive to faith, alive to righteousness, alive to a relationship with God, alive to submission to his law, living God's way. By nature, children of wrath, wicked, destined for condemnation. An offer is made that Jesus, the perfect one, would pay that penalty for you and who, being brought back to life, you might participate in his life too. Which leaves the one question, then, well, how do we do it? What connects us to Christ? How do we get the benefits of his death and his resurrection? And it's there in the last couple of sentences in our passage for today. As we come to verse 8 in Ephesians 2, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works, that no one can boast. Faith. It's a religious word. No, it's not. It just means trust. That's all it means. You have faith in all sorts of things. You trust all sorts of things. Trust Jesus. That's how you get the benefits of his death. Know that you are dead. Know that your sin condemns you. Know that there is nothing you can do. And so trust Jesus. That's the offer God makes to you. Ask him to take you where Jesus goes, that his death would be your death, that his life would be your life. Thank God for the forgiveness that he offers you. Offers as a gift. That's what the word grace means, by the way. I mean, we've got faith, grace, almost like a chapter full of girls' names. That's not what it is. Grace just means an undeserved gift. He's offering it to you for nothing, for free. All you have to do is trust, accept, believe. If you're watching this and you're not a Christian, if you're watching this and you don't have the Lord Jesus Christ, then please, would you hear God's assessment of you? Your sin condemns you. It condemns you already in a way that you cannot by your own efforts escape. God's assessment of you is wicked from the heart out. Wicked not just by your actions, but wicked by how you treat him. Know that to be true. But please, would you also know that there is an offer made to you by God himself to pay the penalty for you. To place on the Lord Jesus your sin, that his death might be in your place, that you might receive his spiritual life, a life that begins now and will go on into eternity in the sort of glory that we can only imagine and long for. And if you're a Christian... Well, first of all, would you spend today being thankful? I mean, I hope, I hope that's your whole life is one of thanksgiving to the Lord God. But today, Easter Sunday, as we remember the resurrected Jesus, as we remember the one who defeated death and came alive and in doing so brought us life, make sure you stop today to thank God. Sing his praises. 
Declare it to one another. The Lord Jesus lives. He is our King and our Lord. He is our Saviour. He is the one that we worship and adore. He is our greatest treasure above all else. Today, would you lift your eyes above your circumstances? It's easy right now to get bogged down in stuff. To just spend so much time on a screen, and I'm, I'm doing this, right? Just, just scrolling through things that just overwhelm us. It's so easy to do right now. Instead, lift your eyes above your circumstances to the Lord Jesus, the one who died and is now alive and reigns forevermore, and who says to you, by grace, by God's kindness, because of his love, because of his mercy, you get to come home. You can have hope for eternity. And I hope that it will move your heart. If you have a look at the very last sentence, verse 10, created by God, made alive again for something specific. Verse 10, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance. for. Are people good? Are people evil? Well, we start wicked and then God changes our hearts by the Lord Jesus Christ that we might go and do his work. We still fail. Absolutely. But I hope that the Lord Jesus Christ, his resurrection, his death, his salvation will move you to go and love. To go and serve others as you have been served. To go and do good. Now, we're limited in how we can do it. Right? You want to go and visit someone, you're not allowed to. You want to go and care for someone else, it's hard to do. But as we are able, love. And you can always pray. You can always, always, always pray. Make sure you are praying in this time, as you always are. And lastly, I want to say to you also, if you're a Christian, make sure that you see people God's way. Make sure that you understand that humanity outside of Jesus is wicked, is sinful, and is destined for condemnation. You see, again, the temptation is to accept that which appears to be normal. People around us living outside of God's ways looks normal. And so we think to ourselves, well, they, they, they look nice, they look okay. None of them have been arrested. They're nice people. They don't really need Jesus. We need to see them God's way. Because otherwise we will not feel the urgency of sharing this message that we have with them. The reality is humanity is deeply, fatally flawed. And what we need above all else is the risen, living saving Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this part of your word and we thank you for the tremendous news that you haven't left us alone in our sin, that our condemnation is not the last word, but that your salvation is on offer even today. Father, for those watching, for those hearing at home, for those looking later, for those who will see this when they see it, for those reading this part of your word today, for those meeting all across the world, for anyone who today hears the name Jesus, would they come and put their trust in you, recognizing themselves to be as you have told that they are, as you have said that they are, and coming before the Lord Jesus Christ with the weight of sin and saying, I cannot carry it, will you carry it for me? Father, fill us, your people, with thanks and praise, with a heart that yearns for your gospel to go out, with a delight in the Lord Jesus Christ, that he would be our greatest treasure 
above all else that lies before us, that he would be our hope, that he would be the one who we fix our eyes on in trial. And Father, we ask this, that we might indeed be those who, saved by grace, display your kindness and your mercy for now and forevermore. Amen. Now we're going to spend a couple of moments just reflecting on the events of Easter. I want you to take a couple of moments as this next song is played and there's a little video that goes with it to stop and reflect on yourself and what God has said you are like today, on your position before God, condemned, saved, and on the offer that God makes you in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you haven't taken it, why don't you take these next couple of minutes to have a conversation with God